Hey church family, uh, it's great to have you um, with us today. In fact, not just church family, uh, one of the great things about uh, doing our services the way we've been forced to do them right now is that our family has grown, gone way beyond our geographical borders. And so whoever you are, welcome uh, to Home Ground Westville Baptist Church's church service. We are really, really pleased that you're here. Um, We've started a series last week on the book of Colossians, and it asks this question, is Jesus enough? And, and we've said quite clearly that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so in a sense, we've already answered the question we're asking, but we don't want to just give superficial answers. We want to be able to explore this amazing book of Colossians and just discover there who and what Jesus really is. If you haven't had the opportunity, please look at last week's uh, sermon that Debbie did. It was absolutely phenomenal. And we just were excited to, to listen as God leads us into this book. A reminder that uh, you can access uh, um, devotional material on the book of Colossians. There's also life group material available. And so we want our church family for the next four weeks to really immerse themselves in this amazing letter. So uh, this morning I want to start, uh, today I want to start by talking about metaphors. Uh, metaphors are amazing things. I love language and I love words. Um, and sometimes when we want to describe something, the only way we can really do it is through a metaphor. Um, just think of this, in years to come, when you and I are confronted by younger people uh, and we talk about this time of lockdown, this time of COVID-19 pandemic, and we try to t describe it to people who weren't here, how are we going to do that? It's really hard to describe something accurately to somebody else when they weren't there. Um, it kind of feels to me like trying to explain apartheid to somebody uh, who never experienced it. It's just, you just don't have the right words. Or perhaps a much simpler thing, uh, trying to explain to somebody what it's like to eat a mapani worm. Um, I'm not going to go into that. I have eaten mapani worms and I've tried to explain and it's not really an explainable thing. If something, somebody has not experienced something, and we're trying to give them an accurate picture of it, we often resort to metaphors. Something they do know to explain something they don't know. Here's a problem with metaphors though. They're almost never scientifically correct, um, but they do convey truth. Metaphors and idioms have another problem. They often don't translate from one language into another. And uh, so constantly we end up with this problem of trying to, to tell people something often amazing or wonderful or really important, and we just don't have the words. Metaphors are huge problems for, for translators, especially the translators of the Bible, because the truth of Scripture is important to get right. But, but let me give you maybe a practical example and my humblest and deepest apologies to 
um, my Zulu friends. I know I'm going to get this pronunciation right, but I'm really going to do my best. Here's a, a Zulu idiom. Umendo awotunyelwa gundani. Now, I, I, I got that from one of my Zulu friends and I was passing around uh, the words to a few people, asking them for translation. Some of them, uh, I even looked on Google and, uh, and, and one translation, literal translation is marriage sends a rat. Another translation I got was the path is not sent to the mouse. Now, clearly that's not what those sentences mean. Those sentences are idioms, especially often used around marriage, is that you end up getting more than you expected. Or perhaps you get something different than what you were expecting when you entered into something. Another one is unyawo anunampumulo. Sorry, guys, the pronunciation was so bad. Um, and it literally means the foot has no rest. Or when I asked some of my closer friends, they have a similar idiom, which literally translated means the foot cannot smell. What those idioms mean is you often end up in unexpected places. So it's, it's, you can clearly see that it's just hard to convey something completely real through a metaphor. That is a very real problem when it comes to describing God. You see, God cannot fully be described. We cannot fully see or experience or know him. So we need metaphors. And that's sometimes why we misunderstand the nature of God. Because we read the Bible and the Bible uses lots of metaphors. And we don't always understand the Greek language or the Hebrew language. And so we battle with those metaphors. And sometimes we end up with these weird images of God uh, because of the way God describes himself. This was a real problem for the writer of Colossians. Let's read Colossians chapter 1 from verse 15. As the writer describes to his congregation who Jesus is. Colossians chapter 1, reading from verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What a fantastic picture of God. And as I said, the, the author is, is desperate to convey to his audience that Jesus plus nothing 
is everything. That, that they weren't just dealing with somebody simply sent by God. They weren't dealing with, with some little part of God. That Jesus wasn't just the Messiah. That Jesus wasn't just the Savior. He wanted to convey to them that Jesus is God in all his fullness. And so he uses these metaphors, these word pictures. And he begins with this picture. Jesus is the image of God. Now, why is this important? Well, because God is unseeable. Now, I know that that's a made-up word. I've just made it up. But the author here states that God is firstly invisible. And so he can't be seen. But we also know from other parts of the Bible that even when God makes himself visible, especially in his glory, we can't look at it. We cannot see God as he really is without being destroyed. That's why Moses was only allowed to see, and the metaphor there was the back of God. The literal translation was where God had just been. And so the, the truth is we can't look at God as we are as human beings right now. And so we have to have an image. Colossians 1.15, the passage we read, the sun is the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, there's a very similar passage. And as you study these two, this book of Colossians, perhaps you want to go and look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 1. It's right in the beginning, but it says it like this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And so it's really important that we understand what kind of image Jesus is of God. This passage says he is the image of God. Hebrews tells us he is the exact image of God. I love art. Not all kinds of art, but there's some that I'm, I really love. One, one artist that I absolutely love is a guy called M.C. Escher. And M.C. Escher loves to play with perspective. I want you to have a look at this picture that's going to come on your screen right now. I want you to notice some things about it. How Escher messes with us. How if you follow those monks walking around, uh, if you go in one direction, they're all walking upstairs. If you go in the other direction, they're all walking downstairs. And yet they're all on the same staircase and they all end up back where they started. Now, we know that's impossible. A staircase can't keep going down or keep going up and end up exactly where it started. And, and, and so this is, a, this is a purposely difficult metaphor. He, he's messing with us. And in a sense, every other picture we have of God is a little bit like that. It's a little bit like that M.C. Escher picture where we see things, <clears throat> we see lots of things that are real, 
a lot of things that are true, but if we look at the big picture, we go, no, this doesn't completely make sense. That's why we struggle with things like the Trinity. But then there's another kind of art that I love, and it's called superrealism or photorealism. And it's where artists do paintings or drawings that look like photographs. Just have a look at this painting of a Jaguar E-Type. And I know it's a beautiful motor car, but just look at the detail. It's, it's hard to believe that that is not a photograph. It isn't. It's a painting. Here's the thing. The writer to Colossians is saying that Jesus is that kind of image of God. That photorealistic image. He is, as the writer to Hebrews says, the exact image of God. What a privilege we as human beings have that live in this time. Is that we can look at an image that tells us as much as any human being can ever know about God. It is so important for us to understand that when we look at Jesus, there is nothing more we need to have in order to know what God is like. Jesus is the most accurate picture of God that has ever been done. But the writer doesn't want to stop there. He, he has to reinforce this message over and over again. Because as Debbie pointed out last week, we are constantly tempted to want to add more. We're constantly tempted to want to go, well, Jesus plus or Jesus and. And the writer to the Colossians is trying to tell us, no, no, no. There is no and. And so he begins to say more things about Jesus. He, he says that Jesus is God's son. And again, that metaphor is problematic, but that metaphor is there to reinforce how accurate a picture is. Jesus is of God. You see, in, in, in the writer's day, a son was an extension of the father, if, especially the firstborn son. He had all the rights his father had. He, he effectively would inherit his father's property. He would, he would absolutely take the place of the father. Everything the father was, was seen to be in that son. And so the image hasn't got anything to do with God came first and then Jesus. It has to do with who Jesus is, that he is God. He takes another step. He says, not only is Jesus God in the sense of representing the fullness of who God is, Jesus is also God in the fact that he is the maker. Jesus is the creator. Verse 16, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He, he see how big he is on the everything. It's, a, it's another way of pointing back to the fact that Jesus was always there. That that 
God didn't create Jesus. That Jesus was always there because all things that were ever created, visible and invisible, heaven and earth, thrones and powers, rulers and authorities. You see what he's saying? He's saying that there is nothing that has been created that wasn't created by Jesus. The writer to Hebrews says that a bit differently. He says it this, and through him also he made the universe. Again, every single thing. During lockdown, we may be tempted to think, hey, after this, I'll be able to get to know God better. We won't, because in lockdown we have Jesus. He, this, this thought that Jesus is the maker or the creator is something amazing to be able to think of during a thing like a pandemic lockdown. Because everything, your body, the body that you're moving around in right now, that amazing body that can do so many things, God made it. Jesus made it. He knows where it is. He knows the struggle your bodies have created for you. Whether, whether it's because of chemicals in your brain that are making you feel anxious or stressed. Whether it's your struggle to keep weight on or lose weight. Whatever it is. Jesus made you. He made everything. Even as we struggle with a fear of this invisible thing that's out there. This thing we can't see because it's so small. Jesus made all things. He made things like bacteria and viruses and, and they had a perfect job in his perfect world and sin has now broken that. But Jesus made even those invisible things. Not just the physically invisible things like, like a virus, but also the spiritually invisible things, those powers and principalities that many of us fear during a lockdown like this because, oh, is this the end of the world? Is this, is this the signs of Jesus coming back? Folk, they are signs of Jesus coming back. But we mustn't look at them with fear and panic. We must look at them with joy because Jesus created all things, the visible and the invisible. What a beautiful picture. Our Jesus, the maker of everything. But the writer can't stop there because he, he needs to keep again and again telling these people and telling us the fullness of who Jesus is. You see, Jesus isn't just the creator. He's also the keeper. Now, in Colossians, uh, the, the metaphor is used is this, 1 verse 17. He is before all things, again, reinforcing that idea that before any of this, he was in the beginning with God because he is God. God is Jesus. Jesus is God. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. The writer to Hebrews uses a different phrase. 
He says, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Sometimes when, when I think of a keeper of things, uh, I don't know if, you, if you've if you seen those pictures of guys spinning plates on sticks. Uh, it's an amazing thing to watch. But have you ever watched how stressful it is for that guy to keep those spat plates spinning and, and and he has to keep grabbing onto you know spin this and, and then that one starts slowing down and, and, and it looks a bit panicky this passage and this metaphor here tells us that God never panics in sustaining all things that because of his powerful word he sustains things because he was before all things, he holds it all together. Not in a panicked way like the plate spinner. But in a calm way. In the way of somebody who can say, let there be light. And there was light. In the calm way of one who says, let us make mankind in our own image. God is our keeper. The Jesus who is with us, who is in our hearts and in our lives, is our sustainer. He keeps us and he carries us. And it's not hard for him. It's not difficult for him. He's not panicking about it. He simply can speak words. And and it becomes. And it is. Jesus plus nothing is everything that we need to keep us as individuals, us as a, as a faith community, us as a country and us as a world. Because he is God and he is the keeper of all things. I love going through a passage of scripture like this bit by bit. Now we discover something new about who Jesus is as we look at this extended picture of Jesus. He is the originator. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. Again, what an amazing picture. Now, often we read that word, he is the head of the body. And uh, we think of passages about where it says that men are the head of their wives. And we think this is a power picture. And sometimes the Greek word for head is used as an authority picture. But in this case, and in most cases of headship in the New Testament, it means the originator. The one who starts it all. And so to use a geographic image, that famous search for the source of the Nile. Eventually they found that it was a lake. The British thought they discovered it. And so they called it Lake Victoria, even though it had been there for many, many hundreds of thousands of years before they ever got there. But they discovered this, that Lake Victoria was the head of the Nile. It doesn't mean it was the boss of the Nile. It doesn't mean it was it was in charge of the Nile. It means that's where the Nile came from. 
Folk, Jesus is our originator. He's our originator as human beings because he created us. But he's also our originator as a church community. I know many churches that are worried during this lockdown because, hey, we can't get together. And so what's going to happen to us? Well, yeah, we can't get together physically. But it doesn't matter because our originator, our head is Jesus Christ. And he's here in a lockdown. He's here in every circumstance because he was there in the beginning. He started us. And it's why we as a church say that it is because of Jesus the Christ we journey together. It is why we as a church say to people, invest in your neighbors and invite them because they need to discover the originator, the one who is with us and in us. He started all of this. And because he started all of this, he will end all of this. Another word picture that comes to mind about Jesus is that he's the Alpha and the Omega. He doesn't just start things. He ends things because he's God and the whole universe is subject to him and he sustains it and us and me and you. Folks. We don't need anything more than Jesus because Jesus is God. Finally, he is all that God is. Verse 9 of Colossians tells us, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. What a great picture. All his fullness. I just love that image. I mean, if a thing is full, it's full. But, you know, sometimes it's not. Sometimes if you if you shake it, you discover it's not that full. And, and you can put more in. And, and it's almost like a picture of something you can infinitely put more things in. It's not almost like, it's exactly like. I want you to try and picture for a moment all the fullness of God. You can't, can you? Because it's just infinite. And yet, folk, that is who Jesus is. Hebrews chapter 1, the exact representation of God's being. That is who is with us. That who is, he is who is with us in this lockdown. That is who is with us and in our hearts. We don't have to wait for something after lockdown. We don't have to wait for more. We have it all. We have Jesus. And because we have Jesus, we have God. And because we have God, we have everything. Whether we are filled with joy in this lockdown or we are filled with pain and anxiety, all of God is with us 
because Jesus is with us. Jesus plus nothing is everything. And that Jesus is with us. He's with us because he came to us. He didn't stay in heaven. And that's the beauty of Jesus. It is God coming into the world to come and live with us. So that we could experience him in his fullness. This week I want us to celebrate the fact that we have all of God with us all of the time. And I want us to look forward to next week. As Rich, Richard unpacks more of this passage and, and explains to us how beautiful this picture is of having a God who comes into the world so that we can be with him. It's a great opportunity to help our friends who don't yet know Jesus to perhaps connect, invite them, because they will discover next week how Jesus makes it possible for us human beings to have all of God with us all of the time. Folk, I don't know what your image of God is, but if you don't know and you're not sure, look at Jesus, read the Gospels, invite Jesus to be part of your journey, and you will know that you have all of God with you all of the time. God bless you and have a great week. God, thank you that all of you is with all of us all of the time because of Jesus and because Jesus is enough.